Good morning and happy Mother's Day to all the men. <laughs> Let's stand and sing, shall we? chapter 6 verses 24 through 26 may the Lord bless you and protect you may the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you may the Lord look with look with favor on you and give you peace let's pray together Lord we're thankful that we can come around the, that we can be here today to worship you and we thank you for the blessings we have and Lord we thank you for the mothers who brought us into this world and we're thankful for the sacrifice and the love that they've shown us Father, I pray that as we're gathered here today, it's all about you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. We're chipper today. That's good. We're here to worship Jesus together. Amen. And we have a great God to serve, and we get to come together, and we're not at a funeral dirge. We're here at a celebration time as we celebrate Jesus. This morning, if you have uh, your connection card, make sure you fill it out for us. And if you um, are watching us online, please follow the online instructions, or you can follow it online here. So at this time, I'm going to turn things back over to the praise team as we continue to sing. You may be seated. <clears throat>
Well, last week we started our message series on the church of Ephesus. And based on uh, the rest of Acts and the rest of Paul's letters, several years had passed since he left the city of Ephesus. And at his departure, the remaining believers organized the church. They continued to gather regularly for worship and to spread the good news of Jesus everywhere they went. When Paul writes this letter to the church of Ephesus, he, he is in prison. Uh, we find that in Romans or in, in chapter 3 and verse 1. And so this, is what's, this, this letter is called what's part of the... This is part of the letter series that we call the prison epistles that Paul wrote while he was in prison. The church at this time was thriving, as we saw last week. They were reaching people of all ethnicities, both Jew and Greek. But the question is, how did they grow? How was the church at Ephesus so successful in carrying out her mission? And I think this goes to the question that we need to consider. How can we be a church who reaches people and impacts our community? There are all kinds of theories for church growth all the time on Facebook. I see these different, uh, the, the, other one, the other day I saw one the church playbook and they wanted to send me a free book for 10 bucks. <laughs> and they said if I buy the book or I'm paying the shipping, $10 to ship a little book, it's, you know, they're like, hey, we'll give you free access to the, to the digital one. Well, if you're going to give me a free book, why don't you just put the digital one up online and let me look at it? But anyway, and then, of course, they were going to hook me into their academy, and, you know, I'd be paying for, the church would be paying for for the next 50 years. And there's all kinds of theories concerning growth. But, you know, one thing that's really hit me lately is, honestly, <clears throat> I'm more interested, and I've always been interested, but never really thought it out, in church impact versus church growth. Now, we'll, we'll see how these tie together, but if our, simple, if, the, if our goal is simply numeric growth, like, hey, next year we want to go from, we're bumping around 200 right now, which is way, it's way below where we're at at COVID, but we're going to reach 500 people. We're going to have 500 people in the services two years from now, and that's our goal. We can achieve that, but the question is how and why. You know, a lot of churches, they get to the point where they're getting ready to close the doors and all of a sudden they get an epiphany, they got to start reaching the community. Well, why didn't you have that epiphany before you were dying? See, then why are you wanting to reach your community? Well, we got to pay the bills and we have to keep the doors open. And I believe if that's our sole motivation for doing that, we're missing the boat. If we focus just on numeric church growth, we're going to miss the boat of what the church should be doing impacting the community, impacting the lives of people that we come into contact with. A numerically growing church isn't necessarily a church that's making an impact in the lives of people. They could technically just have a lot of people in the building. A church making an impact in the lives of people, which in turn impacts our community, will be a church that does grow. It's a, it's a product of it. So if we are focusing on impact, and we're thinking, what can I do to impact people's lives? What can I do to impact the, 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 the community? The church will grow. But more importantly, what's most important is not the number of tails and seats, but what's most important is you'll grow. That's what's important. As we are growing spiritually, as we are connecting with Jesus, it gets infectious, and we start to reach many, many other people. See, if you don't grow spiritually individually, your faith won't impact the lives of others or it won't impact the church. 
So how was the church of Ephesus able to make such an impact? What caused the lives of so many people to be changed? How were so many lives changed that the new believers, as we saw last week, literally shook the world they live in, lived in, changed it? Well, it's actually quite simple. It starts with the message that was proclaimed. It starts with the message that's proclaimed. If you want your life to change, if you want to be able to change the world around you, if you want to be able to impact people, it has to begin and end with Jesus. That's what the message has to be. It has to be about Jesus. There's slick marketing campaigns, and I am not against marketing. I think a church is foolish not to use it. There are building projects. There's a proper use of technology. But none of those will have an impact unless they all begin and end with Jesus. So everything that we do has to point to him. In Romans chapter 1, in verse 16, it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And you'll notice the power of salvation doesn't come from anything but the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't come from some man-made religion. It doesn't come from somebody thinking, well, I'm just going to make my own way. The power of God's salvation comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if it's a church, that is not our focus. If it doesn't begin and end with him, we could bring a lot of people in the building. There are, there are ways to do that. Hey, we could have free beer Sunday or whatever, you know. There's, or, or, we could do a lot of things. But the question is, are we trying to make an impact? We have a compelling message to share. Last week I talked a little bit, I just mentioned how some people think, well, for a church to grow, you've got to compromise the message. That is insulting. Because our message is so wonderful, it's so compelling, it's so life-changing that we don't have to change a, one bit of it to impact people. And I hope this morning as we look at our text, we're going, what we're going to do is look at about four exciting reasons why, why this gospel is so awesome. Today we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and we're going to examine why Jesus has to be the center. From this passage, we're going to look at, the four, we're going to look at four reasons why Jesus has to be the center of everything that we do. We're going to focus on the phrase, in him and in Christ, you're going to see that four times in that section. And actually, if you go deeper in the chapter, it's another one or two times. So this morning, we're going to begin in Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 3. It says this, <clears throat> From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, and the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, and here's the first time it's used, in Christ. So the first observation is we have to make Jesus the center because in him, our blessings flow. Now, how many of you here today would love to have a, a life that's blessed by God? And how many of you would like to have people in your circle of life that their lives are blessed by God. See, one of the reasons that we should be excited about making Jesus the center of our lives and the center of our message is that the blessings that we so desperately want flow through Jesus. God uses Jesus to give us these blessings. As Paul writes this letter to the church of Ephesus, he begins this letter by giving a list of reasons to praise God. And it's very easy to lose sight of why and who blesses us. Because many times we go through life, and sometimes we do it on autopilot. 
And then when you start doing that enough, then you start living your life for your glory. And then when you start living for your glory, guess what? It gets empty. And at some point, it gets void of meaning. One thing that should excite us about Jesus is the fact that God blesses our life through him, not through any other person, not through any other system, but through Jesus. Do you want your marriage to be blessed? Make Jesus the center of your marriage. Do you want your finances to be blessed? Make Jesus the center of your finances. Your parenting, your life, whatever you want to see, where you want to see blessings, make Jesus the center of it. Because God says in this, Paul says in this passage that God lavishes these blessings on those through Jesus. Make Jesus the center. And that should bring joy to our heart, knowing that we have a message that we can take to people, that that very thing that most of us sit here, man, I'd love to see all my friends and family, everybody in my circle of life receive God's blessings. Well, it starts with this. Because we can give them self-help books, we can give them all kinds of things that will do nothing for them long-term. It might give them a momentary reprieve. This is why people turn to substances, by the way. They're looking to escape. They're looking to escape. The word blessed comes from the verb meaning to speak well of. And when we are blessed by God, it means that God has done something for our benefit to help us to prosper, to give us contentment. You know, we, we read about the peace that surpasses all understanding. This is one of the things, one of the ways that we are blessed. We have people in life that we love and we want to see blessed. God loves you and he wants to see you become blessed. And some people say, well, he just bless everybody. Well, it, it doesn't work that way. God won't force his blessings upon you if you don't want them. And if you want to reject Jesus, you don't want his blessings. That's very simple. Uh, I've always said this before. When I'd go to my mom and dad for things, they'd take care of me. But if I went to the neighbor's parents and asked for something, they'd say, get out of here, go back home. You know, we find, what we find are a couple things in this area of blessing. First of all, our spiritual blessings by God come through Jesus. In other words, without Jesus, we're not blessed by God. It only happens through him. The spiritual blessings, because many times we focus on the material, caviar, Cadillac, and mansions, and so on, or, and we focus on that, and we forget what's really important are the spiritual blessings, because when life starts to get on us, those spiritual blessings will carry us a lot further than all the material stuff. Second, we see how many blessings we see that we answer the question, how many blessings do those who are in Christ receive? In other words, when you come to Jesus, when you're baptized into Christ, how many do you get? Um, everyone, every single one. That's what he says, all of them. It's all inclusive. He doesn't say, well, you know, I'm gonna give you a little bit here and you know, if you live up to it, I'll give you some more. No, we have every spiritual blessing through Jesus. We don't have to sit here and wait for more. What's it mean that we have this? It means that when we come to Christ, when we're baptized into Christ, guess what? We have everything that we need at our disposal to grow spiritually. If we are not growing spiritually, it is no one's fault but our own. It's not God's. It's not the church's. A lot of times people, well, I'm not getting fed at that church. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from people. And, they, and those people typically are bouncing from church to church to church. To church. They hop all over the place because they're just never getting fed. Well, you know whose fault that is? It's not the church's fault. Unless they're not proclaiming Jesus, it's their fault. Because they're looking for something instead of investing something. Instead of making Jesus the center of their life, they're expecting to have this woohoo feeling all the time. And when they don't get it, well, the Spirit died. 
And really, I want to tell people like that, you know, the spirit seems to die in every church you go to. I don't know, it's like being divorced 10 times. But anyway, and the great thing is I don't have to get on my hands and knees and beg God for spiritual blessings. He lavishes them on us in Christ. He lavishes these blessings on us. Do you want that? And see, if you do, Jesus can't just be your Jesus on Sunday morning during the hour and a half or whatever we're at church. Jesus has to be your Jesus every day in every area of your life. You can't be a something and then be a Christian. You're a Christian and then you're everything else. Jesus has to be the center. The blessings spoken of here are not physical, but they're blessings given by the Spirit. <clears throat> but rather, <coughs> excuse me, so these spiritual blessings also speak of the quality of the blessings. They're eternal. They're imperishable. God could bless you with a new car. And I, I, you know, I, I think those things happen. But you know that new car is not eternal. You know, that, uh, that I forgot what year, I think it was a 91 Mercury Grand Marquis. Man, I love that car. It was, it was a great big old sled sled. It was great. I could put a lot of bodies in the trunk if I had to for my daughter's dating. It was a wonderful vehicle. But, you know, and I really believe God blessed me with it. But I'm not driving it anymore. It finally ran its course. And many things that I've been blessed with and you've been blessed with materially, they're going to run their course. But your spiritual blessings are going to be with you for eternity. God will not withhold those blessings for those who are obedient in Christ. These blessings are from God. And they don't just refer to, oh, in the future you're going to heaven, but it refers to now right now, where we live, you know, it'd be so frustrating if everything that we receive from God, we had to wait till the end. We get the dessert now. We are able to have those blessings right in our possession right now. We don't have to wait for the return of Jesus to get them. God gives us these things because we live in a difficult world. Man, it's rough, and it's getting worse by the moment. You know, I was wondering if a bunch of people were going to protest Mother's Day because it, it excludes, you know, people. It's just bizarre what we have going on today. But God gives you all that you need to foster a healthy, growing, fulfilling relationship in Him. You have everything you need. The church is there to help you. We're here to encourage one another. We're here to grow with one another, to grow, help each other grow. But God's given it all to you. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. For he has chosen us, here's that phrase again, in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He did this by predestining us to adoption as legal heirs through Christ Jesus according to the pleasure of his will, to, praise and the, to the praise excuse me, and the glory of his grace that he freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved son. So the second reason that we can just be joyful for the message is in him, in him, we are found holy and blameless. This is an excellent thought to, comp con to contemplate. Before the foundation of the world, now you're going to follow me on this a little bit because some people take this thing where it says predestined and say, look, God picked people who are saved. He didn't do that. That's not what this means. God predestined the plan by which anybody who followed the plan would be part of God's chosen. So he didn't say, well, Jeff, you're not saved, but your wife's pretty awesome, she's gonna be saved. And you're saved and you're not, and you're saved and you're not. That is not what that means, although Calvinists take it that way. What it means is God set forth a plan 
from the foundation of the world and said, whoever follows this, they're my chosen ones. So before the foundation of the world, God said, I've got this plan so that anybody who believes in Jesus would have the privilege of being adopted into his family. Um, and that's one of the things that we need to understand. Now, God, as I said, didn't pick the individuals. He derived the plan. Because if he didn't do it that way, the scripture's full of lies. Because he can't say he desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. If he knows good and well, this one won't because I didn't pick him. This one won't because I didn't pick him. This one won't because I didn't pick her. Does that make sense? There's a lot of scripture that are negated by that, by that line of thinking. And by the, besides that, if I, if I was just picked in the beginning of time, that no matter what, I can't lose what God's given me. Why do I try? What's the point? Well, so you can get a bigger mansion in heaven. Well, that's heaven. Well, that seems kind of materialistic. But anyway. Um, now, notice verse 5 reminds us that in love, God predestined us, those who accepted Jesus, to be adopted into his family. It, nobody put a gun to God's head and said, well, you're going to have to adopt these, these losers. No, he's like, in love, this is what he wanted because he wants you. He sent Jesus to die so you could be with him. We are not forced upon God. He wants us. God did not make a last-second decision to want us. He's wanted us since the foundation of the world. In Christ, we are going to be found holy and blameless. You know why that's necessary? Because God is perfect. He is without sin. And the only way that we can be with him is to be in that same position. But we all have lived life long enough to know that we can't do that on our own. We can't achieve that feat on our own. By the way, that was the point of the biggest point of the Old Testament to show you can't do this. And you need something bigger. That's God's grace. We are counted as perfect and holy when we put on Christ. Galatians 3.27 reminds us, for all who, of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then Hebrews reminds us, speaking of Old Testament sacrificial system, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So those, the, those sacrifices could not cleanse us to the point where we could eventually stand before God. It all has to come through Jesus. And what happens is, remember those things, I don't see them as much anymore, but you'll see this, it's usually a, some kind of a plastic looking thing, and it's red. But there's a picture behind it, or a word, and if you wore red glasses, it would cut, cut it out so you could see the picture. And so when God looks at us, we're kind of like that red, red, that red thing that nobody can see the picture, but God looks at us through Jesus, and he sees us as holy and perfect through him and him alone by his grace. And that is just amazing, holy and blameless. I tell you what, I wish I was blameless all my life. That'd be really nice. I, you know, I try to blame it on my brother, but anyway. Our life then, well, you're like, okay, I'm, I, God sees me as holy and blameless, so I, if he sees me that way, why do I have to try? Well, Paul addresses this about sin and grace. But the fact is, our life at that point, because we are so appreciative of God doing this for us, is now my life is about trying to achieve that as much as I can. And when I fail at the end, God's grace will come and make that difference up. And that's a blessing because, see, you look at man-made systems, they're just impossible. They don't work. They're always about do, 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 do. Where the gospel's about done. It's been done for you. And I don't know about you, but I kind of like that, don't you? That's, I think that's exciting to know that 
In the Old Testament, they were striving to do something they couldn't do. But through Christ, you can do it. We just finished our Philip Yancey study on the Bible Jesus read. And one of the things that really struck me in that, and I thought about it, but really not very deeply, in the Old Testament, you know, people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. No, he's not. The difference is the focus. The focus of the Old Testament was God the Father and trying to get people to have an awareness of how horrid sin is. So it was gloom and doom. I mean, they're like, okay, you had a sin. You need to go kill this animal. You need to do but in the New Testament, you have the same problem. You have sin, but it's not gloom and doom. You have hope. You know why? Because hope has arrived in Jesus. I told the group Wednesday uh, when COVID first hit, people were freaking out. Everyone was. We didn't know. We thought we were all going to die. from what, what. And I think people legitimately thought that, except for the people who made the virus, but we won't go there. But anyway, we all thought we were, we were goners. Man, if you got it, it's over. And they showed pictures of people on ventilators and stuff. Who wants that? But you know, at a certain point, politically timed, by the way, they released the vaccine. And it was like, oh. Now, do you want to get COVID? I, I don't. I had it a few months ago. It was worse than the first time. But you know, I wasn't freaking out about it because before I got it the very first time, which was nothing, I thought, man, with, with my situation, I'm going to die. I was really scared. And when I got it, I thought, okay, here we go. And I'd check my breathing. I'd hold my breath and time it and say, okay, I must be okay. And I was doing all these crazy things. But once the cure, if you will, the treatment came out, it's no more, oh, no more freaking out. I mean, I don't want to get it, but you see what I mean? In the New Testament, when you talk about the sin that was in the world, it's not devastating anymore because there's hope. And we offer hope to a dying world. We don't have to dress that message up to make it palatable. We have hope for a dying world, and that should excite us. That should be something that we're ready to share. You got people that you really love in your life that are hopeless? You can give them hope. You can give them hope. What a joy. Okay, I'm looking at something. I messed something up in my text. Okay. Well, you're going to have to just follow me on this one because apparently I forgot to pop a verse in. So next we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, which Jeff didn't put up on the screen. It says this. In him we have redemption through him. Now here's that phrase, in him again, the third one. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our offenses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ toward the administration of the fullness of all the of, of, excuse me of the times to the head of all things in Christ things in heaven and things on earth. So the third reason we have a joyful message is in him we have redemption. I bet you in this room this morning, I bet there are quite a few of us that have unresolved guilt over something in your life. I bet you if we were all under the truth serum, we'd all have something that, you know what, I still feel guilty about this. I wish I hadn't done it. I wish I hadn't hurt that person. And maybe the person you hurt's no longer around so you can't make it right. But you know what I found in life? When you're riddled with guilt, you can't enjoy life. You just can't. Why do you think the enemy uses that tool? You want to take somebody that's got a joy in their life and ruin their life? Riddle them with guilt. Being dogged by guilt will make your life sad and miserable. 
And then it will lend your, you will be lending yourself to being a slave to sin, which will make life rough. See, the funny thing about sin is it's fun for a season. How many times have you known you shouldn't do something, but you did it? I'm thankful I've never done that. <sighs> you knew you shouldn't have, but you did it because you're like, man, this is going to be fun. But it's only for a season. There's always a price to pay. There's always a price to pay. Sin enslaves us. But in Christ, all that changes. This passage tells us in him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption means to be bought back with a price. In him, sin is no longer your master. Jesus redeemed you from that sin, and he brought, bought you and brought you into his family. During the Roman Empire, there's been different estimates. There was roughly 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. 60 million in the Roman Empire. Now, they weren't slaves like we had in the South necessarily. There were some of that, but they were all different levels of servitude. And if once you became enslaved, they had a system by which you could be what was called redeemed. Somebody could come and pay a price for you to free you. And that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus paid that price so that we could be freed. When you commit your first sin, when you commit your first sin, you become a slave to sin. Sin becomes your, let's see, I'll use it in today's terms, your primary, your master. I'm sorry, I watch too many direct rating shows. Uh, in Christ, though, you are freed from that bondage. See, too many people go through life thinking they can purchase their own redemption, but they can't. It's an exercise in futility. Now, maybe technically a slave could have done that. Technically. Okay, but how are you going to make money to make that purchase? See, they own you. They own everything you have. So think of how futile it would be. Say, I need to raise 100, 150 pieces of silver to, to free myself from this servitude. But every time you make anything, your master takes it because you belong to him. Do you think you're ever going to free yourself? No. And see, this is what people do in life today. This is why people are so miserable. They understand that there's a debt to pay and they're trying to pay it and they can't. It'd be like if you got a medical bill for a million dollars, which in these days isn't out of, it happens. And there, look, you throw a, a million dollar medical bill on me, I'm like, that's not getting paid. <laughs> uh, it's not gonna happen. Bill collector comes, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I don't have that. And there's no hope. Now you send me a hundred dollar bill, or well, okay, I, I can pay that. But people are trying to pay a debt they can't pay. They can't pay it. Romans chapter 6 tells us this. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching which, was, which were entrusted to you. And having been freed from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. See, being freed from the bondage of sin is a reason to celebrate. But see, there's more. How many of us, I asked this earlier, are burdened with guilt and shame? How many of you are burdened with it? And maybe you just don't want anybody to know it, but it's there. How would you like to be in a position where all your sins have been forgiven? You've been redeemed from that curse. How would you like to know that God loves you so much that he wants to offer you forgiveness? See, God doesn't want you living your life in guilt. As humans, we struggle with this because we tend to give forgiveness lip service. Husband and wife go at it, and the wife tells the husband, or the husband tells her, I forgive you. Honestly, they don't. 
You know why? Because they keep it stored. You know, it's ammunition. You know, I got some ammunition at home. I got it back in case I need it, you know, if I want to go hunting or, uh, or go target shooting. or They use that. They put it back there in the case. And then the moment it's needed, the ammunition comes out and you get shot with it. Or she gets shot with it. That's not forgiveness, folks. God is not holding your sins in an ammo case just waiting to bust you with them. They're forgiven. When God forgives, you're forgiven. And for those of you who have been baptized into Christ, shame on you and shame on me if we're carrying guilt and shame from previous sin. Because God has forgiven it. You don't have to let it destroy you. You don't have to let it define you. You have been redeemed from the curse of sin. You've been redeemed from the slavery of sin. And let me tell you something. The people in your life you want to be blessed, they are, they are, they are, they are slaves to sin. And they need to have that changed. And the message of Jesus can change that. So that should be another reason that we are so enthusiastic about sharing this message. Because in Jesus, we're forgiven. We've all been around people that are riddled with guilt. So bad that you can see it. Do you want to give them release? And by the way, some people think release is suicide. It happens all the time. The release is Jesus Christ. Because when you're baptized into Christ, it doesn't say, well, every sin but this. You're going to carry that one because that one's really bad. No, they're all forgiven. We have a message of hope. We have a message in hope, of hope in Jesus in this dark, unforgiving world that we live in. Okay, our next, uh, we want to cut, hit now verses 11 through 14. We'll flip down to that. We'll see another issue here. Here's that phrase, in Christ. I love this. We too have been claimed as God's own possession. Since we were predestined according to the per, to the one purpose of him who accomplishes all things to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were first to set our hope in Christ, would be to his praise and glory. And then you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed in Christ, you were marked with the seal of the promise by the Holy Spirit. Who is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory? And this last point is amazing. In him were his. In him were his. I love verse 11. When you're in Christ, you belong to God. In Christ, we are admitted into the ranks of the chosen people. We're his special possession. We get heaven, and God gets us. Now, hang with me for just a second, because there's a little technical part of this passage. In the beginning, in verse 11, Paul talks about, he says, we... And what he's doing here is he's talking about Jew the Jewish Christians because God's chosen people were the Jewish people, but when Christ came, that didn't get them in. They had to follow Jesus, and he tells us this. Those who were in Christ were predestined to be adopted by God through the plan, not the person. But verse 11, he speaks of us Jewish, those, he says, we as Jewish Christians, where we were the first to respond to that message. And then he says, you, in verse 13, he's talking to the Gentile audience and saying, hey, okay, we accepted this. We are God's chosen people because of this. Now you have heard the message, and guess what? So are you. It's not just a Jewish thing. God explains, excuse me, uh, verse 12 explains God's ultimate end in, in his view with the Jewish people, that they would place their hope in Jesus the ultimate end for them was not just to be a chosen nation and a royal priesthood that would carry them on through eternity, but God's ultimate plan was for those people, those chosen people of the time, to put their hope in Jesus. And then they would have that eternal life. And verse 13 speaks of the Gentiles who would, 
who in the beginning wasn't going to share in that heritage, but when Christ came, they share in that heritage. When they come to Jesus, when we come to Jesus, we're a part of that possession. The Jews heard the message of the gospel on the day of Pentecost. The Gentiles came later to hear the gospel. Verse 13 also reveals to us that when we believe in Christ, which according to Acts 2.38, belief means repentance and baptism is part of that, that we receive the Holy Spirit. And when you read the New Testament, that's the only way you're going to get the Holy Spirit within you. And what Paul tells us here is, guess what? That Holy Spirit is a, it's a, uh, it's a down payment. It's earnest money. It used to be when you buy a house, I don't know how it is anymore, it's been a while, you'd have to put money down that says, I'm buying this house. And if you didn't follow the rules in the contract, the owner got to keep that money no matter what, unless there was something on there and that they violated. And so when we are in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, and God says that is the seal that God looks at and says, you're mine. You're part of my inheritance. And by the way, the inheritance is what God receives. We receive blessings, but it's, we are God's inheritance. And we should be excited to share this message, knowing that whenever we lead to somebody to Jesus, they're going to belong to him. And they're going to have that eternal life. They're going to have those blessings that we say we enjoy, that we say we want them to have. In him, the bottom line is we have everything. That is why if we're going to impact the world, if we're going to impact the community, if we're going to be a church of impact versus just being another social club, everything we do has to begin and end with Jesus. Jesus is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. God did everything he could so you could have eternal life with him. There's nothing more he can do. Now it's in your court. It's in your court. And you have to decide, is that what I want? And you know, you're free to live your life however you want, follow whatever you want, do whatever you want. But just remember, everything has a price to pay. You know, I could go out and take everything I've got and put it on lucky number seven red, you know, at the casino. I can do that, but there's a consequence to pay. There's a price payer. I can take all my money and say, we're going to pay the lottery this week. Because I don't know how many million dollars it is. But we can put it all on that lottery. I can do that, but there's a price to pay. I'll go bankrupt. So this morning, don't pay a price you don't need to pay. Come to Jesus. If you're ready to do that, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. If you need prayer this morning, if you need prayer, come forward. Myself or Roger be glad to pray with you. But this time, if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision together.
is for the many things she gave me. Old means only that she's growing old. He is for the tears she shed to save me. H is for her heart of purest gold. E is for her eyes with love light shining. R means right, and right she'll always be. Put them all together, they spell mother, a word that means the world. To me. Today is Mother's Day. I wanted to share this little story with you as our communion meditation. Once there was a little ragged newsboy who lost his mother. In the tenderness of his affection for her, he was determined that she was have he would buy her a tombstone or tombstone for her grave. Going to, a st to the stone yard and finding that even the cheapest was far too much more expensive for him than he could possibly afford, he at last decided on an old, broken one at no charge. 
The next day, he carried the stone away on a small wagon and somehow managed to put it into position at his mother's grave. There was much yet to be done. The stonecutter, curious to know what became of the stone, visited the cemetery, and sure enough, there it was at the head of one of the newer graves. Just as he was about to leave, he saw something blurred, and he drew closer. Tears came to his eyes as he saw what it was. The little fellow had tried to keep the lines straight, and thinking that capital letters would make the stone look bigger, he had written, all in caps, my mother. She died last week. She was all I had. She said she'd be waiting for, and that was as far as the inscription went. The stonecutter asked the groundskeeper if he had seen the boy lately. Didn't you notice the fresh little grave next to the one with the stone? Well, that's where he is. He came every afternoon for some time, working away at that stone. And then one day I missed him. Then the stone, or the, the man rather from the church that had buried his mother came and ordered another grave dug. It seems that the little fellow had sold all of his papers. He was hurrying down the street and as he was crossing the street, a car hit him. He had in his hands an old, sharpened file that he used to make the engravings into the stone. It seems he was thinking of nothing until, or nothing else until the day he died. He wanted to finish the engraving on his mother's gravestone. And just before he died from his injuries, he kept on saying, I didn't finish it. I didn't finish it. I didn't get it done. But she'll know that I intended to finish it, won't she? And the man who worked at the stone yard heard the story. They all pitched in and placed a big stone at the head of his grave with these words Here lies a boy that loved his mother. What greater words can be said to a mother on Mother's Day than, I love you, mother. And what greater words can be said by us as we come once again to remember the one who died for us? I love you, Jesus. Father, we are thankful that you do love us, that Jesus loves us, and that he was willing to give his all for us. We love him. We love you. May our love be strengthened as we thus partake of these emblems. And remember to what extent he went to prove his love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.
On the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week. Jerry will not have any youth activities this afternoon because of Mother's Day. Uh, Young at Heart is meeting Monday, and we have the LOL group meeting Tuesday. We have all of our Bible studies going on and um, that are listed in the bulletin. The men's ministry team will be meeting on the 28th at 1230 in the annex room, in the, in the, in the conference room in the main building. Uh, Walk for Life is coming up. Uh, the school system, we talked about Peach's Pantry. Um, we're not taking any more donations right now until they find a place that they're going to move to. Operation Christmas Child's taking donations of combs, soap, lip balm, and things like that. And then on the next spa event will be the Spa Plus event. And on that one, on June 10th, husbands and wives can come, the whole family. And they're going to go up Mount Lemon. I, we're going to go up Mount Lemon to the cookie place. But anyway, to uh, um, walk around. <laughs> That's yeah, really good. But anyway, those are the announcements for the week, so we ask that you take note of those. Um, also, um, seems like I had one more, but I guess I don't. All right. Um, in the back of your bulletin, we have our prayer concerns and prayers of celebration. We're so thankful. Uh, Ruth Levette sent us a, a note saying that she's thankful for all the cards and the well wishes and the goodies and the visits, and she's doing much better and hopes to see everyone soon. Last I heard, Ken Martin was supposed to be home Friday. I haven't heard that that's, okay, he is home. Good. So he's home, and so hopefully he'll get out and about. We have many people we've been praying for with health concerns. We've been praying for Peach's Pantry from our outreach and for Southern Mexico Mission this month. And uh, we just pray that you keep everybody in your prayers, that you take that part of your bulletin home, if not the whole thing, and be praying for people. So at this time, let's stand together. We'll have a moment of silent prayer, and then I'll close this this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we, as we leave this place this morning that we do so with hearts of joy and that we have a passion to give the hope to people because somebody gave us that hope one day through your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that as we live life this week that we live it with an appreciation for who you are and what you've done. And Father, I pray that uh, during this Mother's Day that we can have that great celebration. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. No. Oh.